Hello, everyone, and welcome to The After Show, a podcast related to all things Jeopardy, more specifically the National College Championship, which wrapped up on Tuesday, February 22nd on ABC. 36 undergrads from 36 colleges and universities from across the country competed in a battle of wits for a grand prize of $250,000. I'm your host, Jarek, and I was one of those lucky 36, and joining me today are the two people I faced in my quarterfinal match, Raymond Goslow, who represented Kennesaw State University in Kennesaw, Georgia, and Lucy Greenman, who represented the College of William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. The following conversation will include outcome spoilers related to our quarterfinal match, as well as the tournament as a whole. So if you haven't already watched the Jeopardy! National College Championship, or the JNCC for short, you can stream all nine one-hour episodes on Hulu. We hope you enjoy. Why don't we start with you two introducing yourselves, your name, the school you represent in the tournament, and your major. All right. I'm Lucy Greenman. I represented William & Mary. I'm a senior, and my major is health analytics. Raymond Goslow. I represented Kennesaw State University in the Jeopardy National College Championship. I'm actually a recent graduate with a major in geospatial sciences. And I'm Jarek Bruel. I graduated from NYU last fall, and I majored in film and television. Before I forget, uh, thank you guys so much for taking time out of your schedules to be on this podcast, especially Raymond, who I'm sure is being swarmed by a lot of folks. Wanted an interview with him as, spoiler alert, the runner-up of the tournament. Now, before we talk about the JNCC uh, and break it down for our listeners, I want to do a little mini wellness check with check-in with y'all. It's been over a week since our quarterfinal match has aired, which is crazy to say it feels like it's been longer um and it's been a mere 48 hours since the finale lucy i want to start with you since you've had more time to process everything that's happened since appearing on the show how are you feeling what was the initial reaction like from your family friends and community after our episode aired it has been so wonderful everyone has been so sweet and supportive and it's really nice to hear from people who i you know, haven't connected with since I was a kid who all are Jeopardy fans and are reaching out on behalf of my parents. So yeah, no, I mean, definitely overwhelming. Same question for you, Raymond. Your semifinal match aired two days after our quarterfinal match, but ignoring everything that happened then, how did people react to your first decisive win over Lucy and me? Was it a surprise to anyone? Were you surprised by any of their reactions? So pretty much everyone before the tournament, uh, when I told them I was going to compete, they kind of assumed I would win my first game. So I don't think a lot of people were surprised. Just they, they knew me. They figured I would win at least one game. But still, like the, the watch party that we had at the library, the whole the atmosphere there as I like built up a larger and larger lead and got the daily doubles and all of that, that was just a electric atmosphere. And that was really cool to be there and have everyone want to take a picture with me and then obviously you know the semi-final came so soon after that the the energy from the quarterfinal was shifting shifted very quickly into getting ready for the semi-final but just the immediate aftermath was just a really electric atmosphere okay so before we talk about the match itself i want to start from not even the beginning of the whole audition process like even before that first question is very simple why jeopardy is it because you know a lot of things, you have a background in trivia. Give us your origin story. Uh, Lucy, why don't you go first? Yeah, I mean, I grew up watching Jeopardy, you know, not a crazy amount, but I, I was a lifelong fan. I did academic challenge in high school. It's just one of those things that kind of happens. Raymond? Yeah, so my dad's been watching Jeopardy and recording episodes of Jeopardy since I was young enough to remember, so it's always been a part of my life. I've always been the kind of person who's just 
held on to knowledge and just never let it go just to know a lot of things for its own sake basically and i've over the years been an on and off jeopardy viewer you know sometimes i'd have periods where i'd watch it every night and sometimes you know i wouldn't watch it for a while but the combination of it being in my life and me having the knowledge that fits with being on jeopardy made me know like I'm going to be on it someday, one way or another. I'll get through the process, whether it's for the college show or the adult show or whatever. So it was it was never really in doubt for me that one day I'd be on the show. Yeah, I feel like I'm the same way. I, I love watching Jeopardy every night after after dinner. Um, I'd especially get excited for the teen tournaments and college championships. Those were the main inspirations for me, knowing that I could actually answer some of the, the clues correctly. That gave me the confidence I needed to, you know, take the online test and start the audition process as young as when I was 15, I believe. And yeah, and starting in 2018, I started getting into um, trivia apps and I started like playing um, mobile trivia games. And I feel like that partially helped me in my prep process, but more on that later. My second question for all three of us is, what did your timeline look like? I'm sure we all have similar answers to this one, but I think people would still find it interesting. When did you take the online test? When did you take the second online test? When was your mock game and interview? And finally, when did you get the coveted text or call? Let's start with Raymond. So I took the Anytime test in October, 2020, the proctored test in December, 2020, and the mock audition in January 2021. I actually got a call in May of 2021, letting me know that I was still under consideration and checking whether I would be available to film on the dates that we ended up filming. So I did get that sort of like check-in between my audition in January and my actual like call to be on the show in September. Um, I know like some other people in the tournament got that and then some didn't, but I did get a confirmation like in May of whether I'd be available on those dates. Yeah, I, I'm actually the same, except with the exception of a call. I didn't hear anything until September of 2021 when I got the text and then the following day I got a call. So yeah, pretty much the same. How about you, Lucy? Yeah, same as you, Jarek. September was when I first got that text from John. Interesting. So I guess... I feel like this is like pure speculation, but I feel like Raymond, you were in like that initial pool of like 15 that they might've considered if they went with like a normal, like 15 person tournament. And then later on they added like more people. So I feel like that's what happened, especially with the EP shakeup uh, last summer with uh, Mike Richards and Michael Davies. But again, that's speculation on my part. I believe it. <laughs> Next question is knowing that you'd be on the show, what was your preparation for the JNCC? Like all 36 of us were in the middle of our fall semesters. So I'm curious as to how you guys made time to prepare and study. Lucy? I had the busiest semester I've had in many moons. Um, I decided to apply to nursing school right before last semester. So I was picking up a bunch of STEM credits that I, I hadn't taken STEM in a while. So um, <laughs> my friends actually asked me after the show, they were like, all those times you told us you were studying for anatomy. Were you really studying for Jeopardy? And I was like, no, I was really studying for anatomy. But <laughs> I did um, buy the whatever catalog online of topics with all the presidents and the you know poets and all that sort of thing and then i got um the j trivia app is that what it's called um that's sort of just like game board format and you can see most common clues and that sort of thing raymond yeah so my approach to getting ready for jeopardy was basically to mainly trust that i had already picked up 
about as much information as I was going to have and not really like cram any information, practice too much. I did make a point of tracking my Coriat score while watching the game and stuff like that. I didn't do that for too long because it kind of got depressing. Like whenever I got something wrong, I would get really angry at myself. And so that was kind of the confirmation that I needed that like the biggest battles to fight were not like in a knowledge sense, but like more in my head of getting in the right headspace and all of that. So the, the main like Jeopardy strategy thing that I did specifically try to learn was I bought the secrets of the buzzer book and figured out the way I was going to hold the buzzer based on that. But even that I only did like in the week before flying out to California. So I didn't do any structured intensive practice or anything like that. Just try to get myself in the right headspace to use the knowledge that I already had. It's funny you mentioned uh, Secrets of the Buzzer because a few of us actually did buy that book. I myself did as well. Um, I also read, um, what was it, Claire McNear's book, Answers in the Form of Questions. That wasn't necessarily to like prep me in any way, but just to give me an idea of what the contestant experience was like. So those two books were definitely on my radar. I know I mentioned that in a couple of interviews I did for my school and maybe some other outlet. But I also went on J Archive, which is a website full of Jeopardy clues from, I don't know, nine all the way back to 1984, for those who don't know. Um, and I played previous college championships just to see, like, oh, what were the most common clues? What were the most common topics? Some Pavlovs that I would just memorize in case they came up in our tournament. So I did that as well. And then whenever I was on the subway, I would practice um, my buzzer hold using just a pen or a mechanical pencil, just, like, standing there while waiting for my next stop. So those were the steps that I took to prepare for the show. Um, yeah, I should have mentioned J-Archive, too. Shout out to my roommate for reading me lots of J-Archive practice games when she didn't even know why she was doing it. <laughs> oh, you know, just because. <laughs> That's a dedicated friend right there. Yeah. <laughs> so now I want to fast forward to our taping day, November 22nd, 2021. What I want to know is, did any of us have any first impressions of each other before our match? And... Heck yes. <laughs> Heck yeah. Go for it, Lucy. I told your student paper, Jarek, that I texted my boyfriend the morning of our taping. There are two people I hope I don't get. Their names are Raymond and Jarek. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you guys, the group sort of had its, I don't want to use the word clicks, but there were sort of subgroups among the competitors of friends and that sort of thing. And you guys both were clearly in the intensely prepared group there so i i knew i was going up against some stiff competition and jarek with all your expertise on the betting strategy i i knew nothing in that regard which the funniest part to me about our show is that so many people are telling me oh you great job going for it all on final so proud of your big bet on final and i was like i i don't know how to do math like that was just <laughs> a number that i knew i could write down uh, how about you raymond yeah so lucy was in like the first group that like on the friday before that we checked it into the hotel that like we ended up like sitting together and going through like the covid briefing together and all that so there were a lot of people who i either never really got to know at all during the tournament or at least never like talked to um but lucy was like one of the first people that i met so i knew her from the beginning jarek i don't remember like seeing or meeting or anything like until we were watching like from the wheel of fortune stage on the day that the other games were taped i think we somehow managed to like avoid running into each other at all before that point and so my first impression of jarek was like 
really intense like tracking all the scores and the wagers and stuff like that so that was I, I definitely knew I didn't want to get into like a really tricky wagering situation and hey you didn't have I to guess. I know <laughs> that, that, that was definitely what, what I thought to myself kind of because I knew that I hadn't practiced anything like that was like okay I better just do well enough to not have it even matter so that worked out at least true that for me, yeah, like Raymond said, I don't think we ever ran into each other until we actually started watching the quarterfinals on uh, the first day, which was the 21st. And we were there with, I think, Kristen, Mitch, Megan. And we were, there was one half of the Wheel of Fortune stage that was either doing homework and like doing their own thing. And there was the other half that was like watching the monitors and the games and just like practicing clicking in and like answering. So, yeah, I think. And I was quite literally sitting on the boundary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I remember that. Yeah. And, I remember Raymond would get the clues that I didn't and knowing that you were a part-time librarian and knowing that your major was geospatial sciences, I knew I had my work cut out for me as soon as they pulled all three of our names. Lucy, I didn't get to know you as much when we were watching the quarterfinals, but then as like our taping grew closer, I don't know, we, I, I feel like we just like became friends naturally through our, um, our taping and I honestly couldn't get a read on you, honestly, just because I hadn't talked to you too much. That's just me being honest. Like I couldn't get a read on you just because I didn't talk to you as much going into our match. But um, yeah, those were my thoughts. What was a category that you absolutely did not want to see? And if you don't have one, what's a Jeopardy category you're generally weaker with? National Parks was pretty bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Raymond? Um, my weaker categories are things like clothing and fashion and food and drink, things like that. Those kind of like cultural things. Because the things that really stick in my head is information that has a structure like the list of presidents you can put those in order historical events you can pin down on a timeline but like there's no order to the list of different types of hats so mm. th those kind of information where there's no easy way to structure it like doesn't stick as well in my brain as other kinds of information i get what you mean uh for me it would probably be literature uh which kind of sucks because there was an entire literature category in double jeopardy of our quarterfinal match um shakespeare i definitely struggle with um in terms of my preparation for that i just looked up like the most basic plot elements and characters from each of the shakespeare plays the first character that comes to mind is petruchio i don't even know what plays from but... so true <laughs> is it the taming of the shrew because I, I watched I that so, synopsis maybe. like six times yeah um i did the same for um jane austen novels and the bronte sisters you know pride and prejudice mm -hmm. um sense and sensibility wuthering heights um jane Eyre, those things i've never read those books in high school so i figured i probably should know a thing or two about them um but yeah literature definitely a weak point of mine the one uh like actual cramming thing that i did was like in the hotel the night before we had our taping day i did brush up on and just like make sure i knew all of shakespeare's plays because i felt like that was something i could get the most bang for my buck of like yeah. knowing those would potentially come in handy so i don't know if they actually ever did come up in my games but it made me feel a lot more confident if i filled in like a gap in my knowledge that i knew it was there my next question requires a little bit of context for our listeners for those who don't know when you're on 
a stage playing Jeopardy. The clue board you see on TV is outlined in a white light that signals when the players are able to buzz in to answer a clue. If you buzz in too early, you're locked out for buzzing, buzzing in for about a fourth of a second, which might not sound like a big deal, but to put into perspective, the average human reaction time is around 273 milliseconds, according to humanbenchmark.com. However, there are some Jeopardy players who have based their buzzer timing on the host's cadence or inflection of their voice. As soon as the host speaks the last syllable of the last word of the clue, the clue board lights up. Supposedly, it's faster to base your reaction on sound rather than the lights. So my question for the both of you is, did you buzz in based on the lights or based on the host, Mayim Bialik's voice? And my follow-up question is, did you have a preferred buzzing position? So I was pretty much reacting to the lights. I'm sure that like voice kind of prepped me to be ready for the light, but the light was my biggest factor to go off on a little tangent. I think I shifted a little more towards sound towards the end of the final, which was helpful. Like I went on kind of a run in the final of getting a lot of clues in a row. And I think that was when I realized the light was not enough. I needed to switch to sound, but in my successful periods, like in the, especially like in the quarterfinal, I was just reacting to the light and my preferred buzzer hold was to hold it in my right hand across my stomach and then stabilize my right hand with my left hand. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I did. I'm not sure if I did that initially or I switched to it because I remember something that Mitch told me was that when he played in his quarterfinal match, he found it much more comfortable to do that same exact hold, but behind his back. So I think that's what I did at one point. And then when I realized I was getting out buzz, I, I wanted to switch it up. I think you could see me like visibly switching my hands at one point. So yeah, that's what I did. I buzzed in based on lights as well, because in rehearsal, I tried both sound and lights. And Corinna, um, one of our contestants producers, told me I was getting in too early. So I figured lights would be my best bet in that case. In my rehearsal, I was like, let me just see where my instinct is without paying too much attention to it. And if that works then great and it worked great and i felt like my practice round gave me a ton of confidence and then when you add in that bit of adrenaline for the real deal that put me just too early and karina also came up to me during the cuts and said like you gotta wait you gotta wait but oh my gosh it's so hard to calm down your sympathetic nervous system when you feel like you're getting beat at a thing that has huge repercussions and so i yeah i don't think i ever quite made myself wait for the lights and that was my downfall Raymond, I actually have a question for you that's been on my mind since our episode aired. But before I ask it, I have to provide some context for you and our listeners. So last year, when Matt Amodio went on his insane 38-game run on the syndicated show, I believe I read something somewhere that said how Matt would focus on buzzing in first rather than coming up with a response while the host read the clue. And once he buzzes in, Matt would use the five seconds he has to answer to come up with the correct response. Is that a strategy you use? I want to say no after watching the VODs of you answering very quickly, but I feel like I would have greatly benefited. It would it would have greatly benefited me more since I was being through the buzzer race more times than I can count. Yeah, so that wasn't really anything that I did. Um, my reading comprehension is really fast, so I was able to read to the end of the clue and have an idea of what I wanted to answer well before the lights came in. So I kind of got the best of both worlds. I could figure out if I had an answer and then focus entirely on buzzing as well. I don't think there were any categories in our game, though I could be wrong, where it was just like a really short clue, because those are ones where definitely that strategy might be better if it's just like a couple words as the clue. 
you just kind of have like a vague idea of, I think I know this and then you buzz in on it. But for anything where the clue is long enough for me to read it all the way to the end and comprehend it before the host finishes reading, then yeah, I read it, figure out if I have an answer and then try to buzz in. Gotcha. So after the Jeopardy round, Mayim interviewed us individually and we each had a personal anecdote to share. Could you retell your contestant story for our listeners real quickly? Uh, I spoke about teaching Hebrew school to kindergartners and first graders. And in particular, I told the story about uh, when we first switched to Zoom during the pandemic. Uh, We were obviously worried about technical difficulties, trying to get five-year-olds to figure out Zoom. And we got everybody online and we were felt like we were off to a good start. And then one of my students (laughs) said, wow, Miss Lucy, even on Zoom, I can see when your hair is frizzy. (laughs) Actually, the the story continues that she drew a picture to illustrate her (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) Held Uh, it up to her little camera to show me. (laughs) My story was about how I was on the production team for a male pageant competition called Mr. Philippines, which I'll get into more detail later. But um, yeah, it's something I organized for the last two semesters online. I went to my first in-person Mr. Philippines competition in 2019, and I wish we could produce something like that uh, again because the energy in that auditorium at Columbia was just so electric, and I really wanted to help produce something like that. But we still managed to pull it off online, and I'm really proud of that. So my story was about my uh, very special rubber duck collection and how it got started. So right after I finished high school, I was on a road trip with a couple friends, and one of them was telling me about how she had just seen this really interesting rubber duck. I forget like what was interesting about it, but she was telling me about it, and she said that um, she thought it would go really well in my rubber duck collection. And I looked at her, and I was like, girl, I do not have a rubber duck collection. What are you talking about? And... When I told this story on the show, some people thought that like she was like just messing with me. That was what the story was about. But no, she legitimately thought I had a rubber duck collection. She wasn't like messing with my head or anything. So yeah, I don't know where she got that impression, but she legitimately thought I did. Um, but when we stopped to have dinner on our road trip, the restaurant in the lobby had like a crane game that was um, full of rubber ducks. And so I figured I had to start a collection it it was fate so that's what i did that day and now i have like over 200 of them wow that's a lot (laughs) raymond i gotta tell you many of my fierce defenders the night of our game were you know making fun of the rubber duck collection and (laughs) (laughs) um my boyfriend also has a rubber duck collection so i had to quickly condemn all mocking of rubber ducks and people (laughs) okay Uh, my follow-up question is, what were the alternative options you had to choose from that didn't make it to air? Bad. Bad? Um, Just bad I ones? Actually, somebody at my watch party asked if she could see the PDF of suggestions that I'd given them, and she read it, and she was like, yeah, these are bad. So. <laughs> Raymond, how about you? The cue card that Mayim had had five different stories on it, and because I was in the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the finals, three of the five stories got used. Um, one of the ones that didn't get used was just another twist on the rubber ducks. It was like the fact that I said in my audition that I would like spend my winnings on expanding my rubber duck collection. So since I already talked about how that collection started, I figured that story was kind of like, there was no point to using that. The other one that didn't get used was the fact that I'm a member of Gamma Theta Upsilon, which is the Geographical Honor Society. But I joined that during COVID and we didn't do any like events or projects or anything. So there was no 
real like story there just the fact that like i got good enough grades to be in the honor society so that that's the reason that one never made it to air either is it like a like a frat or no it's, it's just like a an honor society of like for networking and stuff like that gotcha for me the other two i had to choose from one of them was the fact that i used jeopardy as part of my common application essay to get into college and the other wow. one was uh, I met singer-songwriter Camila Cabello three times in three separate years. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but I figured the one about um, Mr. Philippines would be more fitting to present on national TV. And I didn't want to out myself as a stan. <laughs> I, I need to know that the real question is, were, were you stalking her or was she stalking no, you? No. <laughs> um, so the first time I snuck in backstage after one of her Today Show concerts I finessed that super hard. The then the next time I went, I I went to one of her concerts and bought a backstage pass, so I met her legitimately that time. And then the third time, she did a CD signing at the Sony store in Madison Square Park in New York City, and I skipped class to go to that because we weren't really doing anything. So I was like, "Fuck it, let's just <laughs> let's just go to this. Why not?" I have gotten a lot of people telling me what my story should have been instead. So if only I'd known at the time. I, I've kind of known like. <laughs> ever since like I started that collection and I I would think about you know if I ever go on Jeopardy one day you know what would my story be I was pretty sure that was going to be my story and I'm glad I got to use it when I did my audition one of the questions they always ask in the auditions is what would you spend the money on if you won and I knew that that was going to be a big part of how memorable I was so don't say something pretty normal like travel don't say like paying for college, those are kind of the boring things, have something interesting. And so the line I used in my audition was, uh, I have a rubber duck collection of about 200 rubber ducks, and I'd like to add a couple zeros to the end of that number. <laughs> and I, I held up I held up my rubber duck that was a, a Rubik's Cube pattern and showed that one off as like one of my favorites. So I'm, I'm thinking that might've been like one of the main reasons that they remembered me and invited me on the show. Yeah, that's one thing uh, I'd like to tell anyone who ever wants to be on the show. If you ever get to the audition phase, do not say you'd spend your winnings on uh, paying off debt uh, or down payment on something. Because that's really depressing. I mean, let's face it, that's probably what we're going to end up doing. But nobody wants to hear that. So uh, go with something unique, memorable, like Raymond said. Um, if you're going to say travel, have a reason for traveling. I said I want to go to Tokyo and the Philippines because, one, I'm really into Japanese culture, and two, I've never been to the Philippines. I also said that uh, I want to buy a Tesla if I won the tournament because even though I have a driver's license, I can't trust myself to drive. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> what did you say in your um, audition, Lucy? Um, mine was about funding scholarships for midwives of color. Oh, wow. I'm wow. looking to go into birth work and in particular um, midwifery. So that's a that's a big one for me. That's cool. Okay, so now we are going to get into the match-specific questions. So uh, things about notes about categories, um, clues in particular, uh, thought processes, that sort of thing. So the first thing I have down here in my notes is the hits of 2021 category, which is the first clue that we started with. Uh, I want to say right off the bat that with the exception of the $1,000 clue, which dealt with country music, I knew every single one, and I was so frustrated that I couldn't buzz in on any of them. Uh, I'm sure you feel the same way, Lucy, since we started. you called that category. I had been waiting for Olivia Rodrigo all <laughs> week long. She came up in my game, and I did not get to say her name, and that 
It will stay with me forever. Yeah, I felt the same exact way. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like we had been when when I thought, oh, I'm going to go on Jeopardy. What pop culture do I need to know? Olivia Rodrigo and Squid Game. And then they were both in our game. Oh, my God. Except it was Squid Game in the terms of actual squids. Yeah. Which honestly was much better for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you mentioned that because in the months leading up to the tournament, I told my mom there's definitely going to be a clue on Squid Game, if not on the syndicated show, on the college show. And as more episodes went by of the syndicated show and they didn't ask a question about or a clue about Squid Game um, after its popularity like popped off, I was like, okay, it's definitely going to be in the college tournament. But it wasn't. It was in the form of a category that was completely unrelated to the show which I'm fine with, but I thought that was pretty cool. Wordplay and vocabulary, half passed in the Jeopardy round and ad drop in the double Jeopardy round. Okay, so even though I didn't answer a single clue in the half pass category, I was I, I think it was a, a, a good category. Um, I'm decent at the dictionary categories. I didn't mind it as much, but I much would have preferred um, a quotation marks category over, let's say, ad drop, because ad drop coming up with both of those words is just a nightmare. I'm a little bit iffy on rhyme time in that regard, but yeah, I definitely would have liked to see a quotation marks category in our game. Raymond, how about you? So yeah, I have a little to say about both of those categories. The um, A funny story from my watch party from the half past category was um, the clue where the correct response was, what is halter top? I was watching at my watch party and kind of between clues, people were reacting and stuff like that. So I didn't get the chance to see what category that was. So I saw that clue come up and I didn't have the the background that it needs to be related to like half, close to half in the dictionary. So I watched that at my watch party and I'm like, I have no idea what the answer is. And I see myself ring in on TV and say, what is halter top? And I'm like, I would never, I don't know how I identified that. It was only after I realized, okay, that was in the half past category that, um, that was like how I got it while I was on stage for the ad drop category. The very first clue in that one that got called was me getting the daily double. And I wasn't, I didn't know that it was a wordplay category at the time. I didn't know what it was about. And so that was why I made the pretty low wager of 2000 on it, uh, which ended up working out because I didn't quite grasp the category at first and I ended up not getting it. But I, w- I felt better about that category once I understood it, and I think I did better in it. I don't remember if I got any of the other ones in it, but I at least understood it better after. You got moat and motel. Uh, I remember that one, yeah. How did so, you feel but, about our uh, vocabulary and wordplay categories, Lucy? I really liked Ad Drop. I got a couple of those. I wish I'd gotten that Daily Devil. <laughs> um, don't we all. But, don't we all. Yeah, in general, I like the wordplay categories. Next note I have here is, this didn't occur to me until the box scores were released, but Raymond, you swept the National Parks category. Was that something you were aware of before our episode? Did that surprise you watching our episode? I didn't know it during the episode because we were bouncing around a lot. I didn't realize I'd gotten all five until seeing that in the box score. The most memorable one from that category was getting Acadia because my boss's boss is from Maine, And he was like one of the very few people who knew I was going out to be on the show. I had to, I was missing an event for work to go out and be on the show. And so I had to tell certain people at work to, so they could arrange coverage for me. So he knew I was going to be on the show and he just gave me like a quick rundown of like, here's the most notable cities in Maine, a couple notable colleges and such. And I don't remember if Acadia was in the list of things that he told me. But I remembered like kind of prepping a little extra on Maine just so I could get anything Maine related if it ever came up. 
And the fact that I did get that and get it correct made me like just a little like glimmer of, oh, I had, I have a little personal relationship there. When you say Maine, the first things that come to mind are Bangor, Augusta, and Bowdoin College. Yeah. <laughs> those are the, 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 that those were the ones in his, his list, I think. I think the most impressive get from me um, that you got in that category category was Dry Tortugas um, in Florida because I think I remember ringing in for that one and I was going to go for Everglades. So I was kind of relieved that you saved me from like <laughs> saying the wrong thing. But um, yeah. yeah, that was an impressive get. Lucy, you said you didn't like national parks. Uh, no, that was not ideal. I did know Acadia, but I, that may have been it. No, do we have Yellowstone? Yeah, there was Yellowstone. I think we did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. The last regular clue in our game, the clue that had everyone on the edge of their seats, despite it being a non-factor in the entire game, Island Folk for 400. A Pinoy is a person of this ethnic heritage. And of course, I managed to ring in somehow and provide the correct response of what is Filipino? Just barely. Just barely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, watching that several times gives me anxiety. I will never not watch that clip and be like, oh, oh my god, even though I know like what's gonna happen. Like, oh my lord. I remember in that moment, I like almost blacked out. I was like, <laughs> I felt like my, my soul like left my body. I was like, oh my god. But yeah, I was really happy, uh, Raymond, when you revealed that you tried to give me a run for the money by going for it, and then Lucy refrained from bringing in for that one. I was so I thought happy. we had a moment of solidarity, Raymond. I thought we were on the same page. <laughs> I'm I'm glad it ended up the way that it did, but it is kind of more fun to realize, I guess, that like he did have to work for it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh my lord, my friends would not have lived ha- had me live that down had I not rang in for that one. But yeah, I was really um, surprised by the reaction. I mean, everyone was so happy for me. Even random like Filipino like orgs from across the country were like tagging me in like TikToks and like Instagram posts. And liking the video that I put in my Instagram and they're like, oh my God, I'm so happy that he got it. And I'm proud to like, you know, get that clue as uh, a Filipino on national television. So that was... Uh, Absolutely. If, no, I, that's amazing. if I couldn't win the game, I was going to at least be iconic. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking in that half a second. I was like, if I ring in right now and I answer this question, I'm just going to turn and look at Jarek and be like, <laughs> this would have been such a better moment if I didn't do that right there. <laughs> Uh, I like your I like both of your reactions. Raymond like turned his head and then Lucy did like a nod knowing that I managed to ring in. Oh my god. That was the best. Okay, so moving on to final Jeopardy. What were your thoughts when physicist was our category? Were you confident in it? Did that affect your wager choice at all? That last part is mainly for Lucy, but Raymond, can you first share the story behind your 821 wager? Yeah, so my uh 821 wager is referenced to August 21st, which is the birthday of my then boyfriend, now spouse, Jordan. Um, we were not married yet when the tournament filmed. We got married the next month. Um, and I knew being in a position where I could wager whatever, I had seen a lot of people in the earlier games just bet zero or bet like a thousand or something like that. And so I knew I wanted to make like a symbolic wager because I had the room to do it. They told us not to do like a shout out by writing any like hello, this person in our final Jeopardy response. But I knew that my wager could um, serve as a shout out in its own way. So that was what I did there. Was physicist a strong suit for you? I mean, obviously you got it really quickly based on your uh, expression, but. Uh, I'd say it was pretty average for me. 
tying it into a little about what happened in my semifinal, the reason in my semifinal that I made like the pretty high wager that I did instead of just sitting at 25,000, knowing that I needed a good amount to get into the finals was I was really confident with that Western hemisphere geography. If I had gotten physicists as the category in semifinal, I would not have been confident enough to like bet 5,000. I would have bet like $5 or something on that. So physicist is very much middle of the road. It's not a, like, I know nothing about this, but it's not a uh, favorite category either. How about you, Lucy? How did you feel knowing physicists would be a final cat Jeopardy category? Yeah, I have not taken physics since I was 14 years old. But you know what? There's only like four physicists they can ask us about, right? And I just, I figured the odds are good that I've got at least the, the first tier of likely physicists covered. Because I do have a STEM background. I went to a STEM high school. So... I don't know, pretty middle of the road. Also, by that point, it was a done deal. So it was just just for True. the fun. Yeah. Um, what made you switch your response from Schrodinger to uh, Heisenberg? Schrodinger was not like a good guess. It was the first thing I thought of. And I don't know if you could hear me say to Maya at the end of the show, but I said, like, it was a long enough name that I had to start writing while I kept thinking. And that was exactly it. I did not feel like Schrodinger was my answer. I just I had to start writing it while my brain kept thinking of what I wanted that actual guest to be. And then when I knew it, I knew it. And I, well, I don't know that I knew it, but my brain said the words Heisenberg uncertainty principle. And I thought, yeah, okay. You, you literally had Schrodinger's answer. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's pretty funny, right? For me, uh, I stared at the clue for the longest time until like I realized through the think music that we were halfway through that I started writing down the answer, I thought like, oh shit, I don't, I don't know this. But then I, I realized I did. I said, I even said that in our overheard segment and I tweeted this. I was going to put down a joke answer by shouting out two streamers that I watch on YouTube. But um, once I realized that I kind of had a feeling that I knew it, I wrote it down. And that's why you saw um, when they revealed my final Jeopardy response that I had like a relief or like I breathed in the air. Cause when I was watching the other corner final games, I was striking out super hard in the other final Jeopardies. Like, I was not doing well, so the fact that I managed to get our final Jeopardy clue right was just nothing short of amazing to me. Yeah, I felt like in this tournament, the the daily doubles were you know quite a bit easier than in normal Jeopardy, but the final Jeopardies were on par with the adult show, if not even a little more challenging than the average adult final Jeopardies. I think I'd agree too. Agreed. Yeah. There were a lot of people on social media that said like this college championship is harder than the syndicated show, which. I don't know if I necessarily agree with, but it's definitely harder than past college championships that I remember practicing with. They definitely upped the difficulty for sure. And it's very cute and good for morale that we all got it though. Yeah, yes. for sure. And Wait, that was the, that was the that was the only quarterfinal where everyone got Final Jeopardy, right? Yeah, and it's I the think. it was the first in the tournament um, where all three got it right until uh, Kristen, Liz, and Emmy got their Final Jeopardy correct mm -hmm. in the semifinals. Last thing I wanted to discuss related to our quarterfinal match are our individual stats. Uh, ignoring overall placement in the tournament, I did some number crunching and figured out where we placed in certain categories among the rest of our cohort. Um, the box score data I extracted can be found on the Jeopardy website, while the Coriot scores were taken from J-Archive. And for everyone wondering, what the heck is a Coriot score? Like Raymond mentioned uh, previously, it's basically a I score. still don't know, Jarek. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what a Coriot score well, is. allow me to tell you. Uh, it's basically a scorekeeping method to gauge your performance playing at home. It's a player's score if all wagering is disregarded, 
and there's no penalty for incorrect responses on daily doubles. Correct responses on daily doubles earn only the natural values of the clues. So if a daily double is under a $1,200 clue, for example, its value is 1200 if a player answers it correctly. Finally, any gain or loss from Final Jeopardy is ignored. I looked at the following categories. Attempts, how many times you've tried to buzz in on clues. Buzz percentage, a ratio of how successful you were when you tried to buzz in. Uh, correct percentage, your accuracy when responding to clues. Scores before Final Jeopardy, after Final Jeopardy, and finally Coriot scores. Raymond, you came in first in four of the six categories I mentioned. You were first in attempts, 45 out of 60. First in score before Final Jeopardy with 25,200. First in score after Final Jeopardy with 26,021. And first in Coriot score, 23,200. And you came in sixth in buzzer percentage with 67% and 11th in correct percentage, 88%. So uh, out of all the quarterfinalists, uh, you did the best. And Lucy and I definitely had our work cut out for us. That is to say that it did have a slightly negative impact on our own stats, but I don't think that's to fault us for like, anything that's just the way it panned out lucy you actually got the second second in non-winning contestants after final jeopardy i think first was sarah she got eighteen thousand after she doubled up in her quarterfinal against jaskarin you got six in non-winning contestants before final jeopardy and eighth in non-winning contestants Coriot scores which is really good in my opinion um Thanks. <laughs> for me i got eighth in non-winning before final fifth in non-winning after final and tenth in non-winning Coriot scores I looked at our buzzer percentage, Lucy, and we're at the very bottom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, you were 34th, and I was absolute dead last, 36. Wow. It wow. was so bad. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, How about man. that accuracy, though? Yeah, that accuracy, though, is pretty good. I got 10th, 90%, and I think you got uh, you got 6th, 92%. So, yeah, definitely about. some stats we can be proud of and definitely some stats we're probably not going to talk about <laughs> i was just going to say like the the stats and the scores that y'all put up like considering that there was someone in your game who you know put up like a twenty five thousand dollar performance like that was really really good like there was you know the last um quarterfinal game where the leading score going into final jeopardy was like 5400 and there was another quarterfinal where the leading score was like 8600 i think so like to put up 7500 8000 in a really in a game with a really like dominant player like that that is very impressive thanks raymond thank you so much <laughs> your approval means a lot uh let's see so that's enough about our quarterfinal match moving on to other questions what aspect of this entire experience surprised you the most if any at all Probably how connected we've stayed. I, I did not foresee that. I agree. I didn't think connecting all 39 of us plus the four, four, wait, were there four alternates? No, there are three, three alternates. alternates. Three alternates. Yeah, getting us in one group me all together and chatting like every single day is something I never thought would be possible. I thought it'd be possible in like a group of 15, but a group of 39, that surprised me the most. Yeah, and ho hopefully that continues, even though, you know, we kind of had motivation to stay together as we were waiting for, like, the go-ahead to talk about our our appearances and then, like, information, like, our pictures from being on the show and stuff. And so now that it's kind of all over, I do still hope that that continues and we don't kind of just 
dry out. Also, I think just as a lot of us are graduating and relocating, we'll probably end up in some of the same major cities, and that'll be sweet to have a little sounding board of people we can trust. Building connections for life. That's what Jeopardy! National College Championship is all about. <laughs> for sure. You know it. So leading up to the show's premiere, uh, I think it's fair to say that ABC did a subpar job of informing people of how the tournament would be structured and how many students would be in it, whether it be 15 or 36, or would the grand prize be 100,000 or 250,000? Uh, when Mike Richards was still the executive producer, it was rumored there'd be teams involved and only 15 students from 15 different colleges and universities would be in it. But that all changed when Michael Davies became the EP uh, last summer. So in hindsight, did you like the way our tournament was structured or would you prefer like a traditional style tournament with 15 players and wildcard positions? So I, I saw a lot of negativity online about the tournament format, but um, I seem to remember that the contestants at the time didn't have too many complaints. The biggest complaint was the lack of wild cards. No one was too upset about the the fourth place player not going on to finals. I, I think that's because the fact that there was going to be a fourth place player kind of meant there were more overall people in the tournament. So people were kind of grateful for that chance to be in the tournament at all. And the fact that the fourth place player wasn't going to move on was only going to affect like one person. And obviously like it worked out with now Isaac being invited to the second chance tournament, like the, the major grievances that people had with the structure have kind of been corrected, but I'm glad that we didn't know that the fourth place player was going to get a second chance when we were filming, or else I might have wanted to be the fourth place player, <laughs> <laughs> that they would have created like a, a perverse incentive there. And just to talk a little bit about kind of the promotion and such for the tournament, I definitely agree that it would have been better if the format of the tournament and all of that were public as early as possible. But I'm honestly okay with the fact that we weren't able to talk about our appearances uh, until so late. I was frustrated at the time, but when it turned out that, um, you know, by the time everyone had gotten over the initial like, wow, reaction to us being in the tournament, suddenly it was time for the tournament to start. I do kind of like how it just became one big blitz of announcement to tournament to people winning games and stuff like that. So I like how that turned out at the end. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I second all of that, honestly. That's, yeah. I think the biggest gripe I had was the fact that our Good Morning America promo was never released. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, we had a media day, I believe on the 20th of November, where we spent all day like taking photos or headshots, uh, doing rehearsal games for the show. But a big part of that day was filming a promo in a I think it was AstroTurf or a, like a fake grass area on the Sony lot where they had like a giant crane and a camera attached and they had like a sweeping shot of like all of us separated by six feet and we would be like, good morning, America. And we'd assume it would air on good morning, America, but it never did. And I'm really sad about that. That was the maybe, hardest part of the whole maybe, thing. Maybe I'm still holding out hope that like they'll bring on Jaskarin to Good Winning America as like the winner, and then like they'll use that as like an intro shot for his appearance. Like I'm, <laughs> I, I'm hoping so hard. Oh man. And speaking of second chance that Raymond mentioned, uh, that would have made some really like interesting conspiracy theories about like people like, oh, did they bet to like be in the second chance to get more money or whatever? I think that would have been pretty funny. But yeah, I'm also glad that they didn't make that decision until after uh, the tournament was filmed. 
I, I am curious, like, I wonder if they did have that decision made before and they didn't announce it until later, if that decision was made later. I guess we'll, we'll never know, but it's a, it's a curious thing because everything we find out about Jeopardy, you know, the show gets taped and it doesn't air for three months. I wonder if that decision was made a lot earlier. Would you have preferred to be on the syndicated show? Originally, I was going to say this is a no-brainer for Raymond, but I thought about it more, <laughs> and I'm not quite sure anymore. I saw a couple of people online believing you had the ability and intellectual prowess to string up a couple of consecutive wins. What do you think? I think um, the overall atmosphere of the tournament and the media attention and the getting to represent my school and all of that definitely still puts the the tournament in an edge over the syndicated show because people who go on the syndicated show don't get nearly like the concentrated attention that we got um i'm not like saying i just everybody pay attention to me you know i need attention all the time it's just more of like it's it's good for my you know career prospects and i like to think i'm a interesting person and people seem to have agreed with that just watching the show and all that so i'm glad that we got that extra prime time attention to be able to show myself off to the world like that lucy you yeah totally agree plus the college format is just fun you know people have their schools that they like or dislike for one reason or another and they're texting me oh hey what about this person from my alma mater you know (laughs) so that that's fun i definitely would i definitely preferred to be in this tournament for all the reasons that Raymond said, but also the fact that our minimum guarantee was 10,000, which is five times more than second place on the syndicated show and 10 times more as third place. And Sony paid for our flight hotel, gave us a per diem to spend money on groceries and other stuff while we were in LA. That's those are sweatshirts, sweatshirts, <laughs> two free sweatshirts that wardrobe gave to us. Those are, um, what was, what's the word? Um, those are privileges that normal jeopardy contestants on the syndicated show don't have. Um, most of, what they do to get on the show comes out of their own pocket. So, and the the consolation prizes sometimes don't even cover the costs of going to Los Angeles. So, uh, I'm really thankful that I got to do it this time around. Do you have any regrets at all, whether it be in our match or outside of it? No, I, I can think in certain moments in the finals of like how things would have turned out differently. But it's like everything happens the way that it happens for a reason, and I I can't wait to see what happens next for me specifically because of me placing second place and i wouldn't whatever it turns out being i wouldn't trade that for anything so no no regrets just keep moving forward the one regret i have that's outside the show was not getting sushi on the friday night because i heard that (laughs) 18 of us went to the sushi place near the hotel and i was sad because most of the people who filmed on day one of the quarterfinals went to that dinner so i kind of regret not socializing with everyone on that first night i decided to be antisocial and eat ramen and watch anime from my hotel room because i was still feeling everyone out i was like out of my comfort zone i hadn't been to la in like six years five years or so so yeah i was definitely still uh coming out of my shell at that point yeah no i was too i i think i went to dinner with folks that first night but most of the afternoon i was just sort of trying not to be overwhelmed um, but in terms of regrets, I don't know. I mean, I think the the take to have is let's just not dwell on things like that because it's not going to end well regardless. True. Um, and it's hard, you know, getting seated against the, the second place overall in the very first round. You just kind of wonder like, oh, is it something I said? What if I had done differently in my practice round? You know, mm. that because that makes a big difference for what feels like a sort of a random decision. 
Any fun behind-the-scenes stories not related to our match that you'd like to share with everyone? Am I legally allowed to share the... Uh, That's a great the question. The, the, the Carnegie Mellon story. Oh, man. I'll tell it, and then you, you can decide whether to... I'll run it by, it. I'll run it by the producers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on the day that the uh, semifinals and finals were taped, uh, everyone was going through wardrobe, hair, and makeup, and Kristen had gotten her uh, sweatshirt on, and she was going through all the hair and makeup, and... She's from uh, Carnegie Mellon University. And so I was walking past, I, I had gotten, I think I had already gotten my hair and makeup done, but I was just walking past. And I looked at her sweatshirt and it says Carnegie Mellon, not M-E-L-L-O-N, like the name, but M-E-L-O-N, like a watermelon. And so I'm looking at her and I just, I stop and I'm like, okay, it has to be like a fold in the fabric is covering it up, you know? So I walk to the other side and I look at her from the other side and it still says melon like a watermelon. And I finally, I just point it, point at her and I'm like, do you know what your sweatshirt says? And she looked in the mirror that they were doing her like hair and makeup in. And she had no idea. She had not realized that. No one had noticed it. Apparently what happened was um, one of the sweatshirts that was provided for her ended up being a sweatshirt that had the name printed on it wrongly. So they obviously took her back, had her change into a different sweatshirt that had the name of the, the school spelled correctly. But that was just my dying, dying laughing moment. And after the tournament, I, um, I had printed a poster that had a watermelon with uh, Andrew Carnegie's face on it. And I mailed that to her house oh my God. Uh, just as like a, a reference to that. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. Holy cow, that's amazing. That's so funny. Imagine if you hadn't noticed. Yeah, right? It would have just gone on that way. And then people would be like, that doesn't look right. (laughs) Uh, Any stories you'd like to share, Lucy? Just spending time together, the the crew who all went to dinner and that, you know, it was just a good time, especially once the pressure was off, once those quarterfinals were over. I think we were all disappointed with how it had gone, but at least we got to go be disappointed together. <laughs> That's true. Solidarity. Uh, did you have a watch party for your quarterfinal match? And if so, did anything exciting happen? Yeah, of course I had a watch party. Um, actually, COVID was like having a little moment here at William & Mary, so I wound up keeping it quite small. Um, so just a couple of friends beyond my housemates. Did anything fun happen? We had um, my roommate made us Jeopardy-themed cocktails Ooh. with Jeopardy colors. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and I made cookies without following a recipe, and they came out very wide. <laughs> very wide. <laughs> were they crumbly? No, they were like real gooey and oh, stretchy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Raymond, you said you had yours at the library? Yeah, I had the watch party at the library where I worked. So I knew that I was going to have three separate like episodes to watch. And so... I wanted to save like the school watch party for the end. So I just have had a watch party at the library where I worked, pulled, you know, the projector in the meeting room and hooked up a a laptop to uh, stream it through YouTube TV. Very casual event. Um, You know, my coworkers got like balloons and streamers and stuff like that. And I got some presents and, a couple of people like brought me flowers uh, and they gave, they gave me this magnificent rubber duck that was all glittery and sparkly and like everyone like 
autographed it and that was that was my like favorite part of the whole night was getting that very special rubber duck i'll be treasuring that for a long time to come <laughs> Uh, yeah, for me, I kept it small um, because I'm not a student anymore. I couldn't hold a traditional watch party on campus. So I just watched it at home with my family. And I, my mom and dad were definitely worried when I didn't answer a clue until 10 clues in. Um, they were like, Jarek, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm trying my best. <laughs> um, so yeah, they were really worried. But um, I was very surprised that my NYU friends and Columbia friends held a watch party at my friend's apartment in Brooklyn, they made signs for me. They sent me pictures. They sent me videos um, of them cheering for me whenever I got a, a clue right. So that was very wholesome. I never would have expected that, but I'm glad that they did that for me, even though I wasn't present. Yeah, yeah, you never know who it's going to resonate with. I got really this girl who I used to tutor in algebra back when she was like 12 and I was 14 or something, sent me a whole video of her housemates. That's so sweet. Have you read any messages written about you by randoms on social media? I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure Raymond has at this point. Um, did any of them catch your attention? Any unique ones out there? So I, I've been pleasantly surprised that like very few messages have been negative. Uh, almost everything's been positive. I've had some kind of weird people uh, reach out to me and message me. And like, if people just want to message me and just talk about like, random things like that's fine i'll answer them like there's this guy i've been having this conversation with today we we're just talking about like math and like calculus and stuff just random guy on the internet I'm like sure why not but in terms of like negative messages my favorite one that i got was the person on twitter who said uh i hate raymond and his entire bloodline that was <laughs> the best and it was just so over the top that like i couldn't even be mad i just had to laugh at it <laughs> wow yeah how about you lucy um, I mean, on, on William and Mary Yik Yak, that was, you know, quite the outpouring of support. That was very sweet. But in terms of wider social media, I did not get the level of comments they even other quarter finalists got. I think I was just one of those, you know, seems nice enough, pretty unassuming. Um, I did get a couple of, you know, nice things. I got, um, you know, some like Jewish people because I'd mentioned Hebrew school saying like, oh, that's so cool. We live in New York. And um, a, a local Jewish mom did try to set me up with her son. <laughs> oh, my God. And I did get one thirst tweet from a stranger that just said, Lucy from Jeopardy, dot, 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 Sup. <laughs> oh, my God. What, what an opening line. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, for me, most of the chatter about me on social media was about the Filipino clue. People were happy that I got that. I got, like, one DM from someone who watched from the Philippines, which is pretty cool. Um, I got a text from uh, my aunt who just got back from the Philippines saying that she saw me and was really proud of me, so that was nice. Uh, most of what I saw was generally positive. I don't think I saw, like, one mean tweet about me which is uh, which is something i'm thankful for um yeah it was it was mostly positive my last question for all of us is what was the best purchase that you've made thus far with your winnings and if you haven't bought anything of significance yet do you have any plans to buy anything that's quote-unquote expensive i bought my boyfriend tickets to see elton john Ooh. um and I and I flew to Detroit to go to the concert with him. You flew to Detroit because uh, <laughs> that's where it was, and that's oh where he my goes to school. God. Um, yeah. So that I mean, Elton John has been a recurring theme in our relationship. Like the biopic came out right around his birthday one year, and I took him to that. And so th then I saw these concert tickets right, right actually when I knew I was gonna, right when I got back from the show, I think, and I knew how much I had. 
So yeah, that, oh my that was my big God, one. That's crazy. You flew to Detroit. Holy I did. Dude, that's I flew some to dedication Detroit. right there. Yeah. What can oh I say? God. Raymond, how about you? So I haven't made any like major purchase or anything, but the one thing that I did buy that I was just like, I would never buy this normally, but because I know I have a lot of money coming, I decided to buy it was I got this like, tapestry style blanket that is like big enough to like cover an entire bed and then some and it shows like two frogs like sitting on mushrooms and like holding hands they're kind of like humanish type frogs and they're holding hands with each other no one like in their right mind would normally like spend 150 dollars on this which is what it cost but i'm just like it's so hilariously like random and weird and i like frogs uh, my twitter handle is frogs and maps so i was just like that's very fitting for me and so that was my one weird purchase for me i made my purchase before that my check came in which was my pc which i'm streaming on right now or recording on right now because i've always wanted a pc for the longest time because i've used the same laptop in college for about four years and it's starting to become quite slow one, I wanted it for gaming purposes, but I also need it for video editing purposes. So I'm planning on having this thing last me for a couple of years. So yeah, that's that was the one big purchase that I made. Um, as for what I'm going to do with the rest of my money, uh, I'm probably going to put some in like a Roth IRA or something. And then maybe possibly spend some on, um, what was it, LASIK? But that's something that I'm still thinking about because I feel like my glasses are my brand at this point. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> Do you guys oh. have the same glasses on? No, I don't think so. I was thinking. Not quite. I was thinking about it when I watched our episode, but I, I think. Wait, hold up. Mine are Armani. Yeah, mine are Armani. Yeah, mine. I don't know what the brand is on them, but mine like the sides are clear plastic as well, so they're they're different. Yeah, I had the same exact thought, Lucy. <laughs> I almost wore my glasses on this show too because those clues are so far away. I only have to wear them to drive at night, but I. I did bring them to LA just to see. Uh, but yeah, those are all the questions I had for us today. Thank you again, Lucy and Raymond, for talking to me about our collective experience. And I'm sure I'll have Raymond back with Jaskarn and Liz for another episode where we talk about the finals, um, which is very exciting. So yeah, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, is there anywhere people can find you online or like to shout out anything? So my Twitter is at frogs underscore letter N underscore maps, uh, all my other social media stuff that I keep private, like Facebook, I only accept friend requests from people I know personally, Instagram, I only let people follow me who know me personally, but uh, Twitter is where my uh, best jokes and hottest takes are. <laughs> How about you, Lucy? Yeah, I, I keep it private on social media too, unfortunately, but I don't know. Understandable. Have a LinkedIn. Don't look at it. Update. <laughs> Understandable. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you found this podcast a little bit more enlightening about our experiences on the Jeopardy National College Championship. And stay tuned for future interviews with more contestants if I can get them on the show. So, yeah. Uh, until next time, see you then. Bye.